I'm very grateful that God picked me. <laughs> <laughs> I am the sinner, as I said at the beginning, that he picked the Levi, which is Matthew, who is a tax collector, and he picked him, and he called him a disciple. And I am the sinner, too, and he picked me to work with him as a priest, to preach with his name. So I am very grateful for that. I don't deserve it. By God's grace, he picked me to serve. Mm. So, and I'm sure that the grace of God, he's the one going to lead me to serve the people too. It's not my knowledge, it's not my intelligence, but his grace. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Hello, everyone. So as I was uh, reviewing this episode and the wonderful interview I had with Father Mina, um, I realized that I made an error and I wanted to correct it before we get into the actual um, interview. So you will hear me referring a lot to the Eastern Orthodox Church. And I found out after the interview that the Coptic Church is actually one of the Oriental Orthodox Churches, a group which includes the Ethiopian Church, the Syrian Jacobite Church, the Syrian Church of India, and the Armenian Church. This group, the Oriental Orthodox, has about 60 million members worldwide, and they are not, in fact, part of the Eastern Orthodox tradition. So uh, please keep that in mind as you're listening to the interview and enjoy. Greetings. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Everything is Spiritual. And I'm really excited today to enter into a conversation with uh, Father Mina Bishira, who is a priest at St. Mina and Pope Kyrillos. Uh, the Sixth Coptic Orthodox Church uh, here in Champaign, Illinois. And he was trained as a civil engineer in Egypt and in Canada, and then went to seminary and was ordained here in Champaign in 2017. And he's just going to share a lot about his tradition and his journey And I'm really excited about sharing this conversation with you. So welcome to the podcast, Father Mina. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's a pleasure to to be with you and interview. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure also to talk about the Coptic Orthodox Church. Probably not too many people they know about the Coptic. So it's a great opportunity to talk about the Coptic Church as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I always like to start with a grounding in the sense of your story around your personal faith and spirituality. And can you talk a a little bit about 
the faith system that you grew up in and how that perspective has evolved for you over the years? Sure. Well, I, uh, I was born in Egypt, uh, uh, grew up in um, Coptic Orthodox uh, Church, I uh, used to go to Sunday school, then I become a servant um, in, uh, in my church, St. George Orthodox Church in Upper Egypt in a city called Asyut. Then I went to the university, the undergrad. Uh, I got my bachelor degree uh, from Asyut University. I graduated as a civil engineer. Then I went to Canada. I did my master's degree also in engineering. Then I came to the United States. I left Egypt in 1994. Mm. Um, so when I came here, I did work um, as a civil structure engineer in many jobs. Um, I got my license too to be, become a professional engineer as well. Uh, while I'm doing that, I was serving in a church here in Muni. It's called St. George Church too. Uh, I was a middle school servant. Then I become a coordinator. I got attached to to the Orthodoxy, the Coptic Orthodox. I joined the St. Athanasius uh, Theology School in Florida. But I wasn't planning, by the way, to be a priest. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just want to understand more the Orthodoxy and go deeper into the theology. Uh, then the call happened in uh, 2016, actually, but fulfilled in 2017. Wow. Wow. And what was that experience like for you? Um, how did you have an inkling that you were being called to uh, ordained um, priesthood? Yeah, that's that's a good question. See, as I said, I didn't put in my mind to become a priest. I just want to study theology. And um, one time I was actually, we were in a, a final sport today for a region of Chicago, all the Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox Church. We usually have something called Maharagana Kraza. It's kind of like a gathering for all the, the churches that use to play some sports. And then the, my father of confession, he came and he said, can I talk to you uh, for a minute? I said, sure. And I was playing with, uh, with the kids then he told me that we prayed as a priest and we think you'd be a good uh, candidate to be a priest in Champagne. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I, I was shocked actually when I heard that. And I said, no, there's a lot of people deserve to be more and to be the priest more than me. He said, think about it uh, with your wife. I'm married and I have to... Uh, two sons, one in a medical, medical school, the other one is in last year in aerospace engineering here in Champaign. So anyway, I talked to my wife and um, I told her about that and she said, what did you say? <laughs> I said, what do you want me to say about it? She, she was silent, I was silent because I don't want to say no because I know that God, he called in the Bible some people and they refused to follow him. The other things that Jonah, when God, he called him to go in to preach to the Ninevites, he escaped. And that was not good too. So I prayed and I can tell you, I stayed the whole night. I couldn't sleep. And uh, that was Saturday, by the way. And I couldn't sleep the whole night to Sunday morning. And I said, God, tell me, what do you want me to do? So I went on Sunday morning to the liturgy to attend 
at my church. And I, uh, I saw that the first verse in the Bible was in Luke 5.27. It said, After these things he went out, and he saw tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. So mm-hmm. at that point, I assured that it is a call from God. So I left everything. I was working as a general manager at that time for a big engineering firm. Um, I left everything in order to serve Christ, to fulfill his call. Wow. Wow. And um, what a blessing that you received that insight so quickly. (laughs) Uh, I know many people who have experienced calling and do wrestle with that, and maybe they are not as receptive to hearing yes, yes or no, and they they don't hear it quickly. So um, that's a wonderful story. So were you attending the church here in Champaign, and then you got ordained to be the no, priest? Act- no, no. Actually, I was attending the church in Muni. There is a, a Coptic Orthodox church in Muni. It's called St. George. And that's where I stayed most of my time serving over there. So I never came to Champagne before. Oh, wow. Uh, I never had any relation here. I know some of the families because he used to come uh, in St. George. So I know them, some of the family, not all the family. But I just, I said, I want to do it like Christ. When he called the disciple, they go all around. They didn't know the people. Mm-hmm. So I said, let's dive in. Let the grace of God works. Mm-hmm. So I left, as I said, everything. And I followed. And I, since 2017, I come here. And I started the service in Champagne. Wow. Wow. How lovely. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you are from the Coptic Orthodox tradition, which is part of the Eastern Christian tradition, you know, Eastern Catholic Christian tradition. Um, Can you do a little bit of introduction about what the Coptic Church is for people who are unfamiliar with that? Sure, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of people they don't know, probably hear the word Coptic sometimes in the news because... uh, uh, sometimes uh, a persecution happened against Coptic. Um, so they heard probably the word Coptic, uh, but they don't know a lot about the Coptic Church. Just want to say first that Coptic, or uh, it, it means original Egyptian. Mm. The original Egyptian are the Coptic. Um, the word Copt comes from Egyptus, originally from Egyptus, which comes from, in English, Egypt. But Egyptus, actually, in Arabic, is called Qipt. Hmm. Uh, they removed the first couple letters and uh, last couple letters and end up, up with uh, Qipt. Yeah, it's called Gypts, but in Upper Egypt, they call it Qipt. And that's where the word Copts comes from, and then it become familiar. But the Copts are the original people. They have their own language, the Coptic, which is the original language, the Coptic language. The Coptic language is based on hieroglyphic language, and it is written, most of the letters written 
as a Greek language, except the seven letters, there are 32 letters in the Coptic language. The Christianity started in Egypt back when St. Mark came. We know that St. Mark, his name was John, and he called as St. Mark. Um, he came to Egypt in uh, 60, um, and he preached. Uh, we know that St. Mark, you know, by the way, he's one of the 70 disciples, and St. Mark, uh, his relative to um, uh, St. Peter and cousin to St. Barnabas. Mm. And the Lord, he did the Last Supper in his house, as most of us know. So he came to Egypt in the year 60, and he went to Alexandria. When he arrived to Alexandria, his sandal broke. So he went to a guy, his name is Anianos. And um, while Anianos is fixing his sandal, the needles went uh, and hurt his hand, a lot of blood coming. Then St. Mark, he prayed for him, and the Lord did a miracle. So Anianus was amazed by St. Mark. So he took St. Mark to his house. Anianus became a Christian, baptized. Then St. Mark started to establish the Christianity in Egypt. Hmm. Um, then St. Mark, he went to the five west cities and also reached over there. In his way back, he went back to Alexandria, and he established also the Alexandria Theological School. And in uh, year 68, he came back, when he came back, um, the, the people, the, the pagans, people, they start to gather. Is this man, he started to spread the Christianity. We lost our income. So they grab him, uh, and they, um, they drag him in the street of Alexandria until he died. We know that St. Mark, he wrote the gospel in almost the same year, 68, one of the four gospels, of course. And he wrote also the liturgy of St. Cyril. We have a liturgy in our Coptic Orthodox, it's called St. Cyril. It's based on St. Mark. So all Egypt to become Christian, all, all Egypt to become Christian eventually, until the Arab, they came in the 7th century, they opened Egypt. And they start um, some kind of like a burden over the Christian. Either you pay the taxes, they call it in Arabic, or uh, you become Muslims. Many people, they converted to Islam. Right now, probably around 15 to 20% of the Egyptian are uh, Christian, and the rest are Muslims. So this is a little background uh, about the Coptic Church. We have... Here in U.S., around 287 Coptic Church, Orthodox Church here in U.S. Uh, we have six dioceses, and also uh, in Chicago area, or sorry, not Chicago, Chicago area, we have four churches, Coptic Orthodox Church, and one in the south, which in Champaign, Illinois. So total five uh, Coptic Orthodox Church in, in Illinois. Wow. I hope I answer. <laughs> no, you absolutely did. And so what makes Champaign kind of a hub for the people who identify as part of the Coptic um, church? Yeah, there was like in back in 2007, there was um, around three families they lived here in Champaign. And this is the farthest that um, uh, Coptic community, they live here in the south was here in Champaign. So they, they asked the, the, the priest in, uh, in Chicago area to come and serve them. So they started with a Bible study. 
And by 2011, the numbers start to increase little by little. They start to have a liturgy uh, until 2013. They start with first with the liturgy once a month. Then in 2013, they start to have a liturgy every week. The priests of the Chicago, they used to come here and to serve, and they, they pray everyone once a month, or any, but the, the liturgy here was every week. Uh, until like the 2016, they started to say, we, we need to have here a priest to serve the, the, the family. We have around right now, around 30 families. Uh, they live around the area, not in Champaign only, but we serve uh, the area around Champaign, uh, people in Evingham, people in Decatur, people in Peoria, then in Springfield. So it's all around the uh, uh, Champaign area. So we have around 30 families as of right now, and we have around 30 students also. They come uh, also to, and we serve them in a church. The churches start to grow. We start a little bit, then it start to grow, of course. Uh, we're expecting uh, that... Uh, the existence of the church here in Champaign will attract more people to come to the church. So uh, hopefully we see more and more people coming to our church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, for example, uh, I remember when uh, we established, because I was one of those people, uh, uh, we started St. George Church in Muni, which I used to serve. Uh, we started with 15 family at that time, back in 2002 or 2003. Now they are over 150 family. Wow. So, yeah, uh, when you open a Coptic Orthodox church, it starts to attract the people around the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think word probably gets around and, um, yeah, I don't have to drive all the way to Chicago or I don't have to, I can kind of be in the community with people a little bit more in my geographic area um, and be in physical proximity with other believers. Sure, yeah. Um. You know, thank you for the kind of the history lesson about the Coptic Church, but how has that influenced the global Christian tradition? What part does the Coptic Church play in in the kind of broader tradition? Well, here's a little bit back history of the Coptic Church. Coptic Church, uh, probably, I don't know, many of the audience, they, they know about the history of the churches. So... All the churches were united, as you know, until the Third Economical Council. So the church was part of uh, the Eastern Church and the Rome, uh, of course, the church, the Catholic Church. All the churches were were all together as a one church until the year 451. Uh, of course, the Coptic Church played uh, a very good role at that time because, as I said uh, at the beginning, that the theology school in Alexandria was very famous, the theology school of Alexandria. And one of the, the famous people, probably a lot of people, they know that then Asanisius, uh, the Twini Patriarch of Alexandria, he was uh, born in 298 and he passed away in, t- uh, in 373 Saint Asanisius, um, he was actually started as a big, uh, born to a non-Christian or a pagan family. Then he baptized and become a deacon to uh, the Pope Alexander. And uh, actually, Pope Alexander, he uh, gave him to write the, the Gospel of Saint John. You know, in all the days they used not to print 
but mm -hmm. just to copy it by hand and give it to the people. So he used to write a lot about the Gospel of St. John. And uh, when the heresy of Arius started, and he started to, uh, to say that the Son is not equal to the Father and since he is born, so they held, of course, the Nicene Council, and this is in the year 325. Uh, Pope Alexander, he took St. Athanasius uh, with him, uh, and they defended the Christian faith, and they wrote the Creed, and probably most of the churches, they know the Creed of the Nicenean, and they said it in each church. And that's, uh, go back to St. Athanasius, who, of course, took part in writing in this one, and was being approved by the Nicene Council. So this is in the theological, also in, in the monasticism. Saint Anthony, he also from the Coptic Orthodox, many people they know about Saint Anthony. Saint Anthony, he born in 251, and he heard also the voice of God through the gospel. If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. So he felt that this message is for him. So he left everything and he went into the, the desert. He stayed over there. Uh, he lived almost 106 years. During that time, many monks, there was monks, but not gathering, but they start to gather around him and they benefit from him. And he established the monasticism. I mean, many of the monks all around the, the world they read about uh, St. Anthony and how his spiritual life, um, he enriches the church with his saying. And actually, the one who wrote about the St. Anthony uh, was uh, Pope 20, the Pope Athanasius, which we just uh, talked about him. Um, he wrote the, the life of St. Anthony, which mm -hmm. impacted a lot of people around the world. One of them, St. Augustine, he was living in a sin. And when he read about St. Anthony, the life of St. Anthony, he totally changed. St. Anthony, of course, his life is filled with virtue. People, as I said, monks learn from him a lot and from his story. I just want to share maybe one of his famous uh, saying. He said, love the humbleness because it covers all the sins. Humbleness is to consider that all people better than you, and you are certain in your heart that you are more sinner than anyone. And also he said, Satan knows that he who loves his brother is loving God and abide in him. So he always put into his heart that Satan, he always put in our heart to hate our brothers. And he mentioned another one, he said, don't to talk bad and judge your brother or God reject your prayers. Mm -hmm. So he has a lot of sayings, St. Anthony, all full with uh, spiritual meaning. So he impacted not only Egypt, we have a lot actually of monasteries in Egypt right now, but you hear there's a lot of monastery outside people, uh, outside Egypt as well. And people, they love the monastic life because the story of St. Anthony and how he had the faith and obedience to the Word of God. Mm. Thank you so much. And of course, I mean, you mentioned uh, St. Augustine, 
And I think a lot of our kind of Christian ethical morality and a lot of our even sense of the body comes from a lot of the teachings of St. Augustine and that he was influenced by St. Anthony is um, really significant. So thank you. And by the way, St. Athanasius, he wrote the incarnation of the Logos. And that's a very, very important book in defending in the, in the theology. Mm-hmm. Many people, they read this book, the, the incarnation of the Logos, of the, or the incarnation of God, the Logos. I'm writing things down because we put um, we put links to some books and and some of the people that you're speaking about. So if people want to learn more, they can go into the show notes and learn a little bit more about these influential people in our early church. So you said that you know the community here and the church that you work with here in Champaign uh, started small from a group of of about three families. Um, you said they have grown to about 30 families and they are representative, um, kind of coming from the greater East Central Illinois area. Where do you hold your services? Uh, we do it right now at the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Um, we're renting the hall. They are very beloved friends, actually, uh, Pastor Lynette and Jason, the deacons. They are very loving and welcoming and they want to serve Christ. And when we approach them to rent, they are more than welcome us to come. And uh, as you know, that our prayers required an altar. We put an altar, actually. We put iconostasis or an icons because we always uh, put an icons in our Coptic church. And they welcome us to put everything in their holds. And they can like reserve it for us the whole every time when we go and pray. So right now we we pray uh, at the Good uh, Shepherd Lutheran Church. What a wonderful interfaith relationship that you have. Talk a little bit about the importance of iconography. I think, especially for some of our um, Protestant listeners, that's kind of unfamiliar to them, is the use of of icons and iconography. Um, and pictures for praying. So can you can you share that? Sure. Of course, we don't worship the icons. And many people, they think, why do you put the icons? Icons come like the idols. Um, but in reality, we don't worship the, uh, the icons. The icons is just to remind us with those, with those saints and their stories and how they sacrifice either the martyrs or how they lived a holy life like St. Anthony. So when we put them... We are um, gathered, as as you know, we have two churches. One we call the Victorious Church, which those people, they already left our word and they went to heaven. And uh, the church, which are here in the earth still. So we put theirs to encourage us to do the same, like them. And uh, we ask their prayers because we believe that we are altogether one in Christ. There is no death, nobody died. That means there's no connections because it, it's mentioned many times in the Bible um, that uh, those people who passed away, they can see us, they can interact with us. Maybe the one of the, a good example about the, the parable that the Lord Jesus said 
uh, about the, the rich man and the leathers. He was sitting at his door and both they passed away. And the rich man asked Abraham that he can send somebody for his brothers. So how he know this, um, uh, the rich man, that his brothers is going in a wrong way and he asking Abraham to send somebody to um, to talk to them, to return them from the, their ways. So that means that there is interaction between the church here on the earth and in those righteous people, they finished their mission on the earth. So we are, as I said, we all united in the body of Christ. So when we put the icons around that to, uh, to encourage us and to get connected with them, and ask their prayers, as you know, that St. Paul, he many times he said, I ask for your prayers, pray for me. So we ask for their prayers and their intercession in our behalf, so we can fulfill our life here too and go with them in, in heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think there's people who have are grounded in an indigenous spiritual tradition uh, from so many cultures around our world. And they have a strong connection to ancestors who have passed, who do intercede or who they can um, connect with and talk with and pray to. And um, I think that's a wonderful inclusion is that the people who have gone before us um, the righteous people who have finished their mission on earth, uh, we can still communicate and connect with them and learn from them and be reminded of them. And, you know, it's not just all about us and this moment that we are here, but we're part of this lasting ancestral legacy. That's, that's true. And I want to mention one thing here too, uh, uh, you know that our church is called Saint Mina, and Saint Mina we call him the Wonder Worker, and Saint Pocrolus. Saint Mina is uh, from uh, uh, the third to the fourth century, and Saint Pocrolus from the twins, uh, the twentieth century, which was the last century. Um, both of them they did miracles, and people, uh, a lot of people, they see Pocrolus. Um, Especially, actually, I get a lot of calls from people from Iraq and Syria. Iraq and Syria, you know, uh, you know that ISIS, they destroy their uh, their countries. And many miracles, it happened with Pokrolos. Actually, the Syrian and Iraqi people, they love him because many, many people, they saw Pokrolos, even he departed uh, in 1971, but they saw him and they protected them during the fight. So they are living and they are supporting us. Pope Krolos, I want to mention one thing too about his, uh, uh, his prophecy. Um, Pope Krolos, he was uh, a man of prayers. Uh, a man of prayers. In everything, in any problem, he said, let us pray. Mm-hmm. Actually, people accused him. He said, Pope, you have to do something. You have to talk to the authority or you have to do these things. And he always, let us pray, let us pray. During the papacy of Pope Krolos St. Mary, I don't know if many people uh, heard about that, but St. Mary appeared in Egypt for two years in a church, is called Zaytun in, in Egypt. 
And it's been documented by a lot of people, Christian, non-Christian people, millions of people, they came to Egypt. And if we search on YouTube the appearance of um, the Transfiguration of St. Mary and Zaytun in, uh, in Egypt, you're going to find a lot of videos about it too. So that's tell us that St. Mary is with us. Those saints are helping us, as I said, to, to finish our race as well and to be with them. So God allowed them to be with us, to help us to finish our race and to be with them in the heaven. Mm. So um, one of the things that I've really learned to appreciate about the um, Eastern Christian tradition um, is a way of looking at the world and a very holistic way of living in it. And even what you just said about um, prayer being something that you're doing all the time and sometimes not even praying is sometimes even more important than action and even like connecting with God so that you can be led into the next action instead of just what our, what our egos, what ourselves think should be the next action. And the practice of looking for the presence of God in everything and everyone and treating them accordingly. I mean, I think you've mentioned that. And the practical integration of faith and spirituality in everyday life. So can you kind of speak to those a little bit? And how how do, um, you know, of course you're a priest, but how do people in your congregation live out their spirituality? How do you live out your spirituality in your daily life outside of worship services? I guess the first point in order to live your spiritual life is the first point is to have faith. Faith that God is seeing you. Faith mm -hmm. that God, he prepared everything around you for you. Like who created the sun, the moon, how they react together. How the different seasons, summer, cold, uh, spring, how the plant is planted for you to eat from it. How's uh, the animal, the birds, the fly? How's a human is uh, inside each human different system? How the human body reacted to uh, a virus, how attack the virus? All this one, it does show there is God who prepared for you all those things. But the things, you cannot approach God unless you have a faith that he exists. And this is what St. Paul, he said in Hebrew 11, without faith, it is impossible to please him because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he will reward those who earnestly seeking him. So in order to see God in your life, in order to change your life, in order the problem to be solved in your life, in order to be attached to God, you must have faith. You must have faith. Uh, in many uh, miracles, we see that the Lord, he said, go according to your faith. Go according to your faith. Faith is very important. And it said in Matthew, actually, that the Lord, he didn't do any miracles because of your their lack of faith. Because of the lack of faith. So God... He's willing to work with every one of us, but you need the faith that he is with you and 
He's looking for you. He loved you. He wants you to live in a pure life, in a holy life. But again, since the beginning, of course, Satan, he want to destroy and put doubts into the human or to, to, uh, in us that God, he doesn't care about us or doubt in the word of God. We saw it actually in Eve. When the Satan came, the serpent came to talk to Eve, and she said to her, Is it really that God told you not to eat from this tree? Once you eat, you're going to become like God. So what the serpent did is doubt. And when the doubt comes into the heart of the man, then he starts to do his own things. And he starts to follow Satan in his direction. But faith always make us strong. Faith always make us um, resist the sin because God is uh, looking upon us. Uh, St. Paul talked about the heroes of faith, St. Moses, uh, Abraham, Noah, and all those people, heroes of faith. How, how they overcome all this stuff. We talked about St. Anthony. How he left everything. This is based on the faith. He, somebody, if you ask any one of us right now, tell what you have and follow the Lord. He, will he do it? Or he leave everything and sell everything? It needs a real faith. It reads the real faith that God saying is truth. He's the truth. He said, I am the truth. So he's the truth. You have to trust him in his word. So, I, as I always say, actually, uh, to married people, uh, when they, uh, I go, there is a marriage problem between a husband and a, and a wife. I said, you fighting together, right? But the Lord, he said, go and reconcile. Which is better for you? It's true to go and reconcile to each other. And you sleep everyone nice. Or you fight the whole night and everyone thinking evil thoughts about the others and hate his brother or sister. Which one is better? The better, of course, to reconcile and everyone has peace. He's the king of peace. That's why he's the king of peace. Mm -hmm. um, Joseph, of course, he said in front of the wife of Petiphar, how can I do in this sense and I sin against God? He felt that God is in front of him. So, when the person, he feels that God is in the presence of God, he will do everything good. Mm -hmm. He will run away from the sin. He acts inside the church the same as outside the church. He acts in his work as the God that he's seeing him. He acts in his study, his everything that God is seeing him in a fear of God. So all starts with the faith. Do we have a really faith in God? We trust him. We trust his word in the Bible. Because the Lord, he said, I am the truth. You know what the Lord, he said about Satan? He's, he's, he's a liar. Mm. And a father of all liars. He always put us some doubts that God left out of you. God, why he give you this hardship? Why? Mm -hmm. So, But out of God's mercy, he's dealing with us even if we sin. He, uh, he, he, he always hugs uh, us the same as the prodigal son when he comes back. So mm -hmm. it needs faith in order to live a holy life. 
And so what are the challenges that you see or that you've experienced about in our current modern world, uh, living a life of faith with all of those, many of the things that you've talked about are kind of countercultural to what our modern society is telling us. Yes. See, the thing is, the modern society now is open. And the people, they get their knowledge from the multimedia, from the Facebook, from the tweeters, from the news. And they left the source of life. And that's why you find in most of the family, there is no peace. Because who's the king of peace? It's Christ. When you take Christ out of the house, you start the fighting a wife against her husband or with the kids. There is no peace. Why? Where is Christ in the midst of our life? He's the king of peace. We start to have all our informations or our knowledge from the society around us. And the society tell us this is the truth. And by the way, that is how Satan, he always, he push us. He always tell you, this is the truth. This is not. You, once you eat, you're going to be like God. And it's a lie. And unfortunately, we accept those lies and we believe in those lies. Mm-hmm. And we go far away from God. But at the end, are you happy with your life? If this is a holy life that glorify God, this is the questions. If I believed in all this news and I'm still not happy, then this is not the truth. Mm-hmm. This is not the truth. The truth, as I said, in Christ. And where is Christ? There is a peace and there is a love. If I start to hate my brother or my sister, then for sure I don't have Christ. Mm -hmm. I have a different teaching. Mm -hmm. The teaching of Christ is to love. Love everyone, even your enemy. Mm -hmm. So as I said, we take all our understanding from the multimedia around us. And I can tell you that 99% uh, well, I don't want to say 99, maybe 95%. <laughs> they, are, they are, could be a false information, a mm-hmm. false information. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that we probably aren't doing a good job uh, in our institutions, in many of our churches, uh, teaching people about what Christ love looks like. I think we toss around the terms love, Um, and it has different meanings to different people. But again, if you look back on the teachings of um, Jesus and the Christ, it's very clear about what love looks like. And um, I think think you're right. I mean, it, it points very clearly to something, but we don't often know how that looks in our daily life. Um, that's other true. than kind of an idealistic thing. But if you go back to, I mean, Corinthians uh, lays out the characteristics of love and how we should be treating one another. That's true. And if people saw us in work around us in a society, that we have that love, they will be attracted to Christ. Mm-hmm. But the problem is we are empty. We can We confess that we are empty from inside. We don't have Christ. Uh, we have the material, we have the money, we have everything. If you open anybody's heart inside, 
find many things around, but where is Christ inside? I ask a question, usually ask a question. God gives every one of us a 24 hours. A check, he gave it up for us every day. A check, he write a check 24 hours with my name is ahead. Use it. But where I use the 24 hours most of the time? We have to be honest. We're in different things, but except to God. Even that God, he created us. And he wants us to glorify him, to work with him, not against him. Because some people actually work against him. Mm-hmm. They do the evil things. But God, he give us the freedom. Mm-hmm. And everyone will be asked according to his deed at the end. Mm-hmm. So how can somebody um, learn about the Coptic Church or um, learn about your church here in Champaign or connect with you? Uh, we, the Coptic, if, if you want to learn about Coptic Church, there's a lot of websites if you search Coptic Church, of course. Uh, but they are welcome to come to our church. We welcome everyone to come to our church to, uh, to taste the Christ in our church, to taste the Orthodox teaching, on the original teaching from St. Mark that we call ourselves Orthodox because we follow the fathers uh, of the church uh, since the beginning. Um, we, when we go, we want to, um, for different teaching or different interpretation of the Bible, we usually go to the father of the church. So if you want to taste Christ inside our Coptic Orthodox Church, you are welcome. As I said, we are praying every Sunday and Wednesday. Wednesday, we have a liturgy very early in the morning, 5.15. To mm-hmm. seven o'clock so maybe not gonna work with many people <laughs> but on sunday we have it from 9 to eleven thirty, and we welcome everyone of course to come and attend with us and test christ through mm-hmm. our liturgy wonderful um so i have a few kind of closing questions they're a little uh not as deep <laughs> uh just to get to know you as a person a little bit more so what is something that people get wrong about you? Well, um, <laughs> they might consider me strict <laughs> uh, sometimes. But again, if you stand for the truth, if you want to say to somebody, this is wrong, you have to be strict. You know, we know all John the Baptist when he stand in front of Herod. And the king, and he told him, you cannot marry your brother wife. He was a strict. So sometimes we have, or not sometimes, most all the time, we have to be strict when it comes to the teaching of Christ. Mm. Uh, many of us sacrifice for the teaching of Christ, and we say, hey, do it because we don't want the people to say something about us. We're scared from the society, we're scared from the people. But we have to be straightforward. We have to stand for the truth no matter what. So if they call us a strict, it's okay. I mean, we're going to take it as a strict. It's okay. But mm-hmm. we have to strict for the teaching of Christ no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, where do you see the divine as most alive for you in this season? Well, you see the divine and Christ in the people. And if you work as a pastor, if you work as a priest, you will see the work of God in the people. When uh, actually one of the saints, he said, 
if you raise somebody uh, from the death of the sin, you raised by Christ, you raised from the dead somebody. Mm-hmm. So when people change their life, you see the divine working in somebody, it changes their life and become to Christ. And how, like we talked earlier about St. Augustine, how about that person living in sin and now he become a saint? It changed totally. Christ can do everything. Mm-hmm. But it needs, as I said at the beginning, faith and trust. And step by step, everyone can change. Mm-hmm. He can change the Samaritan woman, which is living in sin. She has she had five husbands. The one she lived with him is not her husband. He can change it to be a preacher. And she become actually a preacher with mm-hmm. a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. So... He can change, and you see the divine work of God in every one of us. So you see the work of God on the people when they change. What is one thing in your life that might seem ordinary to other people but is sacred for you? When I become a priest, <laughs> I might, a lot of people, they say, well, he become a priest, but... In reality, it's totally different. When you become a priest, it's different feeling, scary feeling too. Because one of the commandments actually, they tell you when you are a priest that you are responsible for your flock and their blood will be asked from your hand if you don't teach them the correct. So it's kind of like a scary to, uh, to serve also in front of the altar. When you stand in front of the altar, you offer the sacrifice of Christ. It is scary too. Mm-hmm. It is very holy and scary. Um, so it might be from people outside. Yes, that's the Father He's offering, but it is it is actually um, who I am to stand in front of the altar and in front of the Lord to submit a sacrifice. Mm. So it is um, very holy moment. And, of course, a scary moment, too. Mm -hmm. So, in the Coptic Church, do priests serve in other roles besides just leading a congregation? Actually, the priests, they can do all those stuff. They can do all those things. They can do stuff, and there's different committee in the church for the poor, for the sick people, visitation of the sick. Of course, the priest, he has to go and visit to the poor people, too. So it does has, the church it does has different ministries inside the church, the one church, and the head of the church is a priest or a bishop. If there's a bishop in the region, he's the head of the whole uh, ministry. But the priest actually, he goes into different ministry and he works in different ministries. It's not specific to teach the people or preach the people, no, but he also is responsible to for the sick, the poor, uh, social, any things. Uh, he helped, but there is other committee, of course, helping from the, the people. Uh, but still there. within that congregation or mm-hmm. within. Correct. So, for example, um, like I, I have a priest uh, friend who is a Jesuit priest who is ordained in the Roman Catholic community. And his uh, ministry is not to lead a congregation. His ministry is just as a, a, a school teacher. 
Um, so he might say, um, have the ability to say masses um, and to do liturgy and all the things that a priest can do, but he doesn't directly work with a congregation. There is some priests that they uh, being ordained in Egypt and a bishop in Egypt uh, for the use, something for the use, the ministry of the use, something for the theology school in Egypt, it's just the bishop for the theology school. Uh, but most of the priests here in U.S., they, um, they serve in congregations congregation and any other service gotcha. they, they have. But within that community, which is within the community, yeah, yeah which is beautiful. I mean, I think, I mean, I think there's benefit to both models, but that's good to know. What are you deeply grateful for right now? I'm very grateful that God picked me. <laughs> <laughs> I am the sinner, as I said at the beginning, that He picked the Levi, which is Matthew, who is a tax collector, and He picked him and He called him a disciple. And I am the sinner too, and he picked me to work with him as a priest, to preach with his name. So I am very grateful for that. I don't deserve it. I don't have any input for it. But by God's grace, he picked me to serve. Mm. So, and I'm sure that the grace of God, he's the one going to lead me to serve the people too. It's not my knowledge, it's not my intelligence, but his grace. Because, mm-hmm. uh, as as you know, that most of the his disciple fishermen they don't know anything, but mm-hmm. they change the whole world. Mm-hmm. And sometimes wasn't Jesus frustrated with them because they refused to understand what he was trying to do? <laughs> but God used them at the end and changed the whole world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So would you share uh, a book or some resource that um, particularly has been intriguing you that you would recommend for our audience? Sure. I highly recommend to read the book of Pope Shenouda, The Life of Faith. Maybe we talked about the faith. So The Life of Faith for Pope Shenouda. Pope Shenouda, by the way, he's a patriarch 117 in our patriarch. We count all the patriarchs in St. Mark. So Pope Shenouda is 117 after, of course, St. Mark. And we have right now Pope Tawadros II. He's 118. So um, Pope Shenouda, he wrote a very good book. It's called The Life of Faith. And it's, uh, I, I recommend it to everyone to read it to increase his faith and pride. Mm, okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You have a wonderful presence, and you began by talking about being humble, and I think that you definitely embody that sense of humility, and yet you also exude the joy and presence of God, and I really appreciated spending some time with you. Thank you so much, Kelly. It was a pleasure uh, to talk to you, and all, as I said, it's all from God. And without God, we cannot do anything. Mm. We need to glorify His name. We need to work all together to glorify God and to fulfill our mission on the earth. Mm. Well, amen to that. And thank you very much. Thank you so much, Kelly. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. 
For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table, and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.